Hi, listeners. Today's guest is Zinke Johnson talking about purpose and mission. But about 10 years ago, I was in a position in my life to where I was a projected first-round draft pick. Had been playing a game of football since I was seven years old, and I was watching film one day in the University of Tennessee's football complex. And as I'm watching film on the California Bears, my defensive backs coach, a guy by the name of Larry Slade, he comes into the room and he says, Inky, I got some great news for you. I said, what is it? He said, man, can you believe your projected first-round draft pick? Automatic multimillionaire. I got your paperwork back. I got your grade back from the NFL. The only thing you have to do is play football. I said, the only thing I got to do is play football. He said, the only thing you have to do is play football. I drop the clicker, I get up, I run out of the room, I get my phone out, I call my mother and my grandmother, I get them on a three-way, and I said, listen, I said, after this season, we will never struggle again. I said, we would never miss another meal, we would never have to stand on the curb at Christmas and you all stand behind us and tell us you all just be grateful because we got robbed on Christmas Eve for the one pair of Nike shoes that I did have. I said, we will never miss another meal again because I grew up inner city Atlanta in a two-bedroom home and there was 14 of us living there and I used to sleep on the floor with roaches and rats and I didn't sleep in a bed by myself until I went on my official visit to the University of Tennessee and guys didn't understand why I didn't want to go out. And so you have a host when you go to college visits, and my host came up and he said, Inky, we're going to have a big time. And I said, what is it? He said, man, we're going to go to a sorority party, and we're going to go to a basketball game. And I said, man, if you don't mind, can you please take me to the Marriott? He said, yeah, I'll take you. You want to go get changed? I said, yeah, can you take me to the Marriott? We pull up to the Marriott. I'm getting out of the car, and he says to me, he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, are you sick? I said, no, I'm not sick. He said, you want to stay in the Marriott? He said, man, listen, I don't know if you've ever been to a college sorority party, but I think you need to go. It gets pretty wild. I said, no, I have no interest. I said, see, what you don't understand, this is my first time sleeping in a bed by myself, and it's a king size at that. So I don't care about a sorority party. <laughs> and I get up in that room, and I call all of my cousins and my boys back in Kirkwood. That was my neighborhood back in Atlanta. And I said, man, you guys got to go to college, all right? It said, Inky, we don't know about that college. I said, yeah, you get your own king-size bed. I thought, you know, that was the route. But anyway, I start my junior season. I'm a highly touted NFL recruit, and I go out my first game, have a great game, interception, big hit. Everything is off to a great start. We get in the second game. We're playing against Air Force. Gets late in the game, about two minutes left in the game. And anybody that's ever watched a game of football, you know when you get two minutes left in the game, the game is practically over unless you're playing against Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, right? And so the quarterback drops back, releases the ball down my sideline. A guy catches it. I go to hit him. And as soon as I hit him, it seemed as if every breath in my body left. My body went completely limp, stiffed up. I fall to the ground. As soon as I hit the ground, I blacked out. Never happened to me before. My eyes open, my teammates run over to me. They said, Ink, get up, let's rock, let's go, man. I said, I can't. They said, what do you mean you can't? You always get up, get up, we need you. I said, I know, man, but I can't move. They said, what do you mean you can't move? I said, there's a shock going from my neck to my toes. I can't feel anything. The shock eventually left, it stayed in my right arm and hand, and the doctor came out and they put me on the spine board, and as they were wheeling me off the field, we get to the ambulance, and my father is standing beside the ambulance, and I'm the type of person, I believe there's some good in every situation that we face. I believe if you train your mind to see the good in the situations that you don't like, that brings you discomfort, that brings you a certain level of opposition, I believe if you train your mind to see the good in it, it's easy to extract it. 
And so I say to my father as I'm lying on the spine board, I said, Pops, I got him, right? And he looked back at me. He said, yeah, you laid a nice lick on him, but I think you got the worst part of this one. And they put me in the ambulance. They said, we're going to take you over to the hospital, run a couple tests. We'll bring you out. We'll tell you what's up. They take me in. They run the test. They bring me back into the room. And when they bring me back into the room, my mother comes in. She kisses me. She prays for me. And she says, son, you will be fine. And as she's going to walk out of the room, the doctor came in running from the opposite side. But as he was running, he was screaming. And he was running. He was screaming. He was saying, guys, get in here. We got to rush this kid back to emergency surgery. He's about to die. I said, die? I said, my mom just said, okay, you said die. <laughs> There's no in-between. He said, yeah, I hate to tell you, but you ruptured up subclavian artery in your chest. You're bleeding internally. We got to rush you back, take the main vein out of your left leg, plug it into your chest in order to save your life. And the next morning when I woke up, my perspective had completely changed. I didn't think about if I was going to play Alabama the third Saturday in October. I didn't think about if I was going to play Florida the next week. Instead, with the situation, there was a heavy level of conviction attached to it. Even though people were coming in to check and see how I was doing, I was thinking about my legacy and I was thinking about my life in a manner of such. When people speak about you one day, well, the only thing they say about you is, man, that guy was an amazing athlete. Like one day when I'm blessed to have a family and now I do, me and my wife, we got a five-year-old son, a six-year-old daughter. I met my wife when we were seven years old. She told me she was going to marry me in the eighth grade. I thought she was crazy, but that proved to be prophetic. We're married today. But I thought about my life, and I said, is this the only thing that people would talk about you? Football? Like, well, the only thing they say is, man, that guy, I remember he was 165 pounds. He bench-pressed 325 pounds. I remember when he ran a 4.38 in a 40-yard dash. Or will my life have something of substance and value attached to it? Will I just be this efficient but not effective individual? I did things right, but I never did the right thing. Like, will my life have something of substance and value that when people can see me and they can point to me, it makes them want to raise the standard and excellence in everything that they do and everything they're connected to and everything that they're part of? Or will people just say, man, this guy was a great jock. He was a great athlete. And when I got out of that hospital, I thought I was driven when I played sports. I thought I was dedicated and committed when I played sports. But there's a quote that says, when do a person start to really live? When a person has faced death and I came in contact with death, but I beat it and I conquered it and I survived. And I felt as if somebody pulled the shades up on my life and they said, now you see life for what it's really worth. My perspective had totally changed. And I went to rehab for my arm for two years, seven days a week, straight. And they would order me different machines. They would get me an arm skateboard. They would get me different things that I could breathe in because they cut me six times down my left thigh. They cut me one time across the left side of my neck, one time across the right side of my neck, twice through my right ribs. They cut out my right pec. They put 350 staples in my body, and they bandaged me from my neck to my knees. I had to learn how to walk again. I went from bench pressing 325 pounds, jumping a 40-inch vertical, to now my roommates had to help me take a bath because there were certain incisions that I couldn't get wet. And I went to rehab for two years, and the doctors, at the end of every visit, I would step up, and I would say, man, is there anything that you could tell me? Like, can you give me anything? Are you seeing anything, any nerves regenerating? Are you feeling anything? Can you tell me something? And the only thing they would say at every visit, come back tomorrow, for two years. 
And so one of my last visits, I got up off the table. I'm a pretty positive guy. I speak life. You know, I believe in looking at situations with the right perspective. And I jumped up off the table, and I said to the doctor, I said, man, are you seeing anything? Can you give me any good news? And he said to me as he dropped his head, he said, Inc., um, you probably will never be able to use that arm or hand again for the rest of your life. And I responded to him, and I said, physically. And he said, physically, that's interesting. I said, yeah, physically. I said, physically, you know, I can't punch anybody with my right. I got a mean left, right? I got a mean left hook. I can't do a lot of things that I want to do with my right. I can't. You know what's one of the coolest things that I thought was as a kid, right? It wasn't anything with athletics, and I was a four-sport athlete. But one of the coolest things that I, that I thought about my whole life, right? When I was a kid and I grew up in this community, I saw everything by the time I was a senior in high school. I saw murder. I saw people get robbed. I saw people get stabbed. I saw drugs being sold. I saw people use drugs. That's why I never touched any of it. But when I was a kid, there was a swimming pool on the other side of the tracks in my neighborhood, right? Other side of the track, swimming pool. And I would walk past the swimming pool all the time. And the coolest thing in the world to me, not just what's in the world, the coolest thing was when I would see a father and he would grab a kid and he would throw him up and he would catch him. And they would laugh and they would smile. And I would always stand on the fence and I would say, man, I can't wait until one day I have my wife and my children and I could take him to a pool and I could throw him up and I could catch him and I could see him smile. And when the doctor looked at me and I said, physically, I said, I can't do some of the things that I want. I can't throw my kid up like I wanted to in the pool, like some of the things I can't do. I said, but I could use this arm every day for the rest of my life by the way that I live my life because I would never let a circumstance or a situation define my life. Adversity is adversity. And the reason I love that verse is because you don't judge a person's character by where they stand when everything is all good. Everybody can stand up and do good when everything is all good. Everybody can smile when it's, when it's sunshine. Everybody can do right when everything is going right. Everybody can do that. But everybody can't face opposition, adversity, and challenges and say, I've been waiting on you to come. I'm going to embrace you, and I'm going to figure out a way to use you because you will never turn me into a different person. You will never make me a person that people don't recognize before the adversity. You ever seen a person that faced something and you don't even recognize them? Like the thing I've learned about life, like everybody is in, in different businesses, you know, per se, but at the end of the day, we're all in the people's business. And what I mean by that is every day we have a chance to impact somebody's life. Right? And I firmly believe with the things we're part of and the things we do, we all have to have a purpose that's a lot greater than ourselves. So when we hit things that we don't understand and that brings us a certain level of discomfort and that hurts us and we just can't pull the grips on it, when we have to encounter things like that, we have to step back and we have to figure out how can I use it? And a lot of times as people, like naturally people are selfish. Right? And what I mean by that is they approach situations and they say, what can I extract from this situation and how can it benefit me? But the moment an individual shifts their perspective and shift their mentality and shift their attitude from me to we, that is the moment an individual becomes literally dangerous. Because now an individual is attached to purpose and mission. And when you have an individual that's attached to purpose and mission, it's not too many things that's going to stop them. You see, my football career ended, but my reason for why I lived my life, it never did. I just had a paralyzed right arm and hand. My mentality wasn't paralyzed. My spirit wasn't paralyzed. My drive wasn't paralyzed. My dedication wasn't, my commitment wasn't, I was the same man. I just had an extra boost of energy for why I lived my life. I wear this as a badge of honor.
every single day, the adversity, the opposition that life sent to break me, I wear it as a badge of honor because I understand every day of my life, I represent something. It's just like every individual in this room, every company, every brand. When people see you, they think something. We've all all seen those people, we see them coming, we're like, oh, here come this crybaby. No, they're whining about something. And then we've all seen those people where we say, man, where you been, brother? I've been needing to see you, man. How can we be those type of people? And our companies and our families and the things that we're connected to. How can we be those people that's a breath of of fresh air, man? How can we be those people that live life with passion and compassion? How can we be those people when we ask people questions, we don't just listen with the intent to reply, but we actually listen with the intent to understand? How can we be those people that understand everybody that comes across our path, they come across our path for a reason. And so when we approach them, we approach them, we listen, and we share a little bit of love, and we want to leave them a little little bit different. Like, I'll never forget, I talked to the guy that I encountered the hit with that left my arm like this, and that changed my life. I'll never forget, I talked to him. He called me, and he played for the University of Air Force, obviously, and he just so happened to be from Atlanta. And he calls me, and I pick up the phone. It was about a year and a half after my incident happened. I pick up the phone, this guy is crying his eyes out. And he says to me as he's crying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He said, I didn't have a shot at the NFL. He said, you did. He said, I feel as if I messed your life up. And I said to him, thank you. He stopped crying. He said, what do you mean, thank you? I said, I'm saying thank you because if this incident didn't happen, who's to say that I would be the man that I now am? Who's to say that I would be the father that I now? Who's to say that I would have the perspective that I have? Not that my perspective was bad before. Adversity, it's all about perspective. It's never about what we go through. It's how we view what we go through. And when I told him, thank you, the reason he didn't understand it, it's not so much about a story, right? We all have stories. Like the ESPN producer told me, he came down to see me in Atlanta, and they shot my little special, and he told me, I'm not coming just for the story. Everybody has a story. He said, I'm coming because I can't understand your perspective, and I can't understand how you can be thankful for something that brings a lot of people pain, and they just can't understand. I can't understand how you're thankful for something that a lot of people can't even process, and they will use it as an excuse. And I said, you probably can't understand it because you don't live life the way that I live it. Every single day I wake up, the only thing I need is a breath of fresh air. That's it. I don't need a reward. I don't need a product. I don't need, and the only thing I need is breath in my body. And every single day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to live life for the right reason. And I'm going to live life in the right way. I'm going to live life with passion, with love and compassion. Because when I almost lost my life, that shade went up and it made me realize what life was really about. And at the end of the day, I think we all know it's not about anything superficial or materialistic. We've all experienced that. We've all got that new car, and then three days later, it's just a new car. And then we've all done something for a family at Christmas, and why did it feel better when we did something for a family at Christmas than when we did something for ourselves? Because life is attached to growth, and life is attached to service, and what that service is is serving something that serves a lot greater purpose than just ourselves. And I'm reminded of a story about two gentlemen, very wealthy, very wealthy, ran companies, very wealthy. They ended up getting terminally ill. 
They put them in this facility. The guys were in this facility. They would come out every single day in the common area. They would have fun. They would do their thing. And they would put them in a the room. They would eat. They would drink. And so one of the guys, he asked the nurse, he said, hey, nurse, can you put me in a room with that guy? I really like it, man. We're having a great time. We're hitting it off. She said, sure. She put them in the same room. So she would bring them something, water, something to drink, some food. Every single day they would eat, they would drink. And so one of the guys, he had a bed and it was by the window. And so every single day, his buddy on the opposite side would say, man, can you tell me what you see out that window when you get the strength to lift yourself up? And he said, yeah, cool. So every single day they would eat, they would drink, and he would lift himself up, and he would look out of the window, and he would say, man, I see a beautiful skyline. Say, man, I see beautiful flowers, beautiful kids running, playing, beautiful couples walking, holding hands. And this guy on the opposite side would say, man, thank you so much. That really helped me. You know, we're about to die. Really helped me. One day, nurse came in the room. Guy with the bed by the window had died. She started prepping him. She's taking him out of the room, and as she's rolling him out, the guy on the opposite side said, hey, nurse. He said, what is it? He said, can you do me a favor? He said, yeah, what is it? He said, whenever you put that guy wherever you got to put him, can you come back and can you please roll my bed by the window? I want the opportunity to lift up, look out of that window, and see what he used to tell me about that really helped me in my situation. She said, sure. Next day, she came in, brought him some water, brought him some food. He ate. He drank his water. He lifted himself up. He looked out of the window. And the only thing he saw was a brick wall. He started yelling, screaming, nurse, nurse, get in there. Nurse came running. She said, what is it? He said, why is there a brick wall there? He said, you know, my buddy, my buddy used to tell me about this beautiful skyline, beautiful flowers, you know, beautiful couples walking, holding hands, beautiful kids playing. He said, can we please get that wall removed? He wanted the whole wall removed. <laughs> the nurse responded, and she said, you didn't know? He said, know what? She said, you really didn't know? He said, no, no what? She said he was blind. She said he couldn't have seen that even if he wanted to. She said, you didn't know. Every day he did that because he knew it brought you joy. Every day he did that because he knew it brought you peace. Every day he did that because he knew it helped you with your situation. Every day he was about to die himself, but here you had a blind guy that lifted himself up, looked out of a window, and painted a picture that he couldn't even see simply because he knew it served as a blessing to his counterparts. And so as I leave you today, I have to pose the question, why do you really do what you do and where is it taking you? Like, what's the GPS that's on the end of our decisions and our choices? Like, where is it really taking us? Because at the end of the day in life, it's only two things that matter. And it's not about the biggest car, it's not about the biggest house, it's not about the bank account, it's only two things that matter. It's about who we become in life, and it's about what we give back to life. And I don't know about you, but every single day I'm blessed to be above ground. I'm going to make my time count, and I'm going to give something valuable back to life. Please don't be the people in this world that become a public success, but they're private failures. That's my time.